Welcome to The Yoga Voice, a podcast by City Yoga, School of Yoga and Health. Our guests discuss how the contemporary practice of this ancient art transforms the lives of individuals and communities in the Midwest and beyond. City Yoga has been a center for the practice of yoga and yoga teacher training since opening in 2002. Join us as we explore how yoga inspires and transforms. Hello again, Dave Sims here at the Yoga Voice, and it's always an honor to be able to present to you a podcast of one of these conversations we've been having with amazing people, yoga practitioners, teachers, people doing interesting things around the yoga community in the Midwest and beyond. So I do hope this message finds you healthy and in, in these weird, unusual times we're living in. Um, you know, taking care of our health and well-being is so important. And I do hope you're enjoying the day and that that you have some joy and, and peace in your heart. In this particular episode, I had a really nice conversation with a very committed yoga practitioner. He's also an artist, a father, a son. He's an aspiring yoga teacher, uh, getting ready to be certified here in summer of 2020, Mike Lyons. And in our discussion, we really dug deep into Mike's journey into yoga, into art, and just in life in general. From his early days and his yoga practice, he's really shared how his perspective continues to evolve and transform. He shared a particular intrigue with the teaching that resonated with him it's it's the teaching of yoga is the study of now and having that phrase about now and the order of the words yoga is the study of now you know it's really it's a powerful statement you know we jumped into um, some ideas he has on some upcoming projects involving yoga and utilizing his distinctive creativity so do enjoy giving it a listen. And, you know, as always, I am from my heart to yours. I'm grateful for each and every one of you. Every time you decide to tune in and give our podcast a listen that, um, you know, I do appreciate that. And, um, and thank you very much. So without further ado, we will get you into this conversation with my clients. Welcome everyone, Dave Sims here at the Yoga Voice, uh, coming to you once again. In the social distance um, world we're living in still today, so today I've got um, Mike Lyons here uh, coming at us remotely from Indianapolis. We're both in Indy at just different locations, so Mike, welcome. Hi everybody. Hi Dave. I guess I talked to you. <laughs> the everybody or the future everybody's that they'll just be hearing it, not seeing it. But yeah. nice to see you. Yeah, it's a good good uh, thank you so much for taking time out and and uh Thanks you know, for having me. Yeah. Yeah, Mike and I have had some great conversations recently and and uh I'm excited to have him on the podcast and here we you know, we're um 
continuing to, uh, we've almost, this is almost a year we've been doing the podcast, so that's kind of cool, and a lot of interesting conversations and amazing people, and sticking with our theme, we try to draw in conversations around yoga and, and yoga and beyond in, in ways that inspire and transform either individuals or community, and Mike in me getting to know him has just, you know, had a lot of interesting things that he's done in his life and, and really kind of speaks to that. I mean, I feel like you're just, you're constantly seeking to grow as a person and the different roles of being a father, being a son, you know, being a member of the community. And um, so, we want to dig into that a little bit. And I usually want to start by asking, you know, what a little bit about your yoga journey. So how, you know, what was kind of life like before yoga and, and then what got you on the, your mat and then where are you at today? So take it away. And this can be as long and as in depth as you want. All right. Well, it's interesting. I feel like I've, I've tried to tell this story before. Um, but I always feel like I've got to try to cram it into the elevator pitch, the uh, 90 second version of it. So maybe to kind of spell it out a little bit, uh, could, it could be a fun little experiment. Um, so I don't know, for as long as I can remember, I remember being, I have an early memory of being a kid and laying down on the floor with my cousin who is um, three months younger than me, his dad, my uncle Nick, um, would always be around and he was always a, probably one of my first, um, real positive male, uh, influences outside of my dad, you know, so every dad was the hero. He was, he was the constant, but you know, my uncle Nick was probably the first male I remember outside of that and he could draw. So I don't know why that, that of all, <clears throat> of all his personality characteristics, the fact that he could jump into one of me or my cousin Brian's sketchbooks and doodle a version that looked even remotely like Mickey Mouse that we were watching up on the screen was just absolutely mesmerizing. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't even believe that somebody could do that. You know, I'm chicken scratching on there and that how realistic he could make it look. And um, I think I still somewhere upstairs in this loft area up here, I have uh, old sketchbooks. Um, and I remember he, you know, there'd be a page of my shitty drawing and then his good drawing and me kind of trying to copy it or, so I have a few of those still floating around. And, um, so anyways, where was I going with this? Always me and Brian, we grew up at the same time. We were like, we ended up as a fifth grade and later we went to school together. So we were like legit best friends, schoolmates and cousins. So it was like, you know, sleepovers all the time with friends with family we could do it you know, on christmas you know like all everything was opened up so it was a really um interesting kind of friendship to have and lots of drawing and then his dad every once in a while we could get to draw with us and um and then at a certain point that stopped <laughs> everybody else stopped drawing <laughs> as much with me you know i i have those memories of being a kid and you know playing make believe or trying to draw army men you know just this real intense feeling and collaboration and you were doing your own thing and they were doing their own thing, but you had a communication across from one another 
You didn't have to make eye contact. You could live in make-believe land. It was amazing. It was a beautiful place to be. And then everybody started to get serious, you know, and uh, it turns out Brian always said he wanted to be a doctor. And so Mike's going to be the artist. Brian's going to be the doctor. These two little kids grow up and get older. And now my cousin Brian is an anesthesiologist with his wife, who's an anesthesiologist. And they live up in Zionsville. And Brian has done all the routes that Brian was destined to do. It seemed like when we were kids and so have I. <laughs> and I, I've been the loser artist, you know, the star, going from the starving artist to the really creative one that maybe he'll get his shit together to like, oh, is he really going to do that crazy ass project? He probably is way, way over his head. So every, every stereotypical role of artist you've ever seen depicted in any movie, I've, I've played that. <laughs> I've played that character. I've been the drunk idiot, the... Um, the clown, um, the depressed, sad one, you know, there's, there's been a range and, um, <laughs> okay. So maybe the ties started together. Art drawing has always kind of been the thing. And I've had this kind of love hate relationship with my creativity and my, um, my creativity will come in and spark my ambition. And then there's this kind of like, get her done side of me that latches onto that. And it just really wants to control the situation to try to succeed at something absolutely ridiculous, you know, and they're like, I'm most attracted to its ridiculousness artistically wise. Usually when I come up with some silly ass idea, it's just like the more, the more unfathomable it seems that it happens. All right. I'm going to try and draw it back here. You're fine. I like draw, it. Yeah. Well, I'm kind of losing my, my metaphors. I get to play in this game. And <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of lose what track I'm at. But um, the feeling I get when I'm doing maybe what I was just doing, when I kind of let that stream of consciousness, um, creative side come out, I really like it, but I'm really ashamed of it. <laughs> like, I'm really worried in situations like this that I'm off in Lululand and I look like a total maniac. <laughs> and I feel like there's been instances in my life when I, there's groups of people that I can be around. And when I go into this mode, um, it's just like, geez, this guy's crazy, you know? But then there, I have artist friends that it like, I wasn't speaking into the void, you know, they'd be like interrupting me with their own crazy ass ideas. And like, well, I think about it this way, you know? And <clears throat> so when I've been in that crowd of people, oh, it feels like home, you know, like, and I'm not necessarily like seeking attention, but I kind of am. <laughs> and then they are too. And then like, when you get around these like people who are doing a similar kind of like riffing on what the nature of reality is um, or who you are, or why you do what you do or what your behaviors are. Um, I kind of lost my train of thought there. Um, that's what I always worry about. I get so deep off on a tangent. I got to bring it back. There's a community in artists. It's just like there's a community in, you know, like we're all drawn to communities of individuals that can, you know, we can have these interesting dialogues with, right? Yes, exactly. And that's what the yoga, there's been, okay, yeah, this is how I could tie it all together. The drawing and this creative energy is, is both a physical energy that like a, 
you know, with the kids, I call it, you gotta get your wiggles out. You know, like we just, we really have this energy. We just got to do something with And then we have this creative energy that is like these mental ideas. And I've, I've tried to run and get the physical exercise in and then go into the studio and do the mental part. And then I've tried sometimes doing some art stuff that was really physically stressful, difficult to do so that I could get them both. But then I learned about yoga and it was like, holy shit, <laughs> you know, like um, I was dependent on like I, my typical path with running, right. Is ever since I became an adult, I got out on my own. I overindulged, drank too much, ate too much, got up to be 250 pounds. Oh shit, I'm 250 pounds. What am I going to do? I got to get my act together. And then I switch over to another character. that's like no fucking alcohol. You know, now I'm going to make you run 10 miles every day to get the weight back off you and get it back under control. And then that goes great up until the point that I hurt my feet or my knees because kind of, you know, I was running too hard on too much weight and I was just banging the mechanism up. And it was just this constant roller coaster ride. It was like, Oh, maybe now I could swim. And then I got good at swimming and I was swimming two hours in the water and I didn't have enough time for other things. And it's just, I just kept finding all these, I knew I needed a physical regimen in my life. I knew I needed that movement to keep my mind normal and a big part of that was keeping my body in somewhat working order so I wasn't constantly worrying about the defaults of it and when I found yoga it was immediately apparent that like holy shit I think I've found something that scratches both sides you know it gets my mental it soothes the mental it does the physical and I don't see any injury in sight I mean I realize the possibility for it is there but all of my experience has been trending towards better health i feel like it has pulled some injuries kind of from deep within it's kind of pulled them out to the surface i've got a shoulder that was really you know was, seemed really messed up two years ago and it's just now getting to the point where it's not clicking but it like even just doing this i'm realizing like i played baseball and football for years like no wonder <laughs> you know and if you saw the way i draw and the way that i've spent years like laying on the floor with elbows, totally jack buck. You know, I've just learned how to spend hours doing this and it's with my everything all tight and tense. And it's like, well, no wonder I have some issues built up in this arm. I mean, it's just all the things I've ever done to build in this house to whatever. It's just all gone through this hand and this shoulder and it's, it's overworked. And so anyways, tangent yoga, was those things. And then, um, so I guess that's finding yoga happened when Adrian was pregnant with Arlo. I was 29 years old. We did a pregnancy yoga pregnancy DVD together. And I went from kind of just having the only image I had of yoga in my head before then was uh, a previous business partner I had that was 95 pounds five foot two, smoked cigarettes like a chimney, drank coffee all day long. And just as he was smoking a cigarette, he just loved to say, he's like, I'd quit, but it ruined my yoga, you know? And it was just a joke he always said. So I, I just always had this kind of like, and it never even occurred to me that I would do yoga. Just, it wasn't, I had no ill will towards it. I knew nothing about it. It just never seemed like anything that was anywhere close to my realm but when adrian got pregnant i remember i was just down for anything it was a it was a good version of me to um 
to kind of watch unfold because I was just, I wanted to do anything I could for this kid and for her and whatever, whatever it was, I was down for it. And um, so we did just from the library DVD for pregnancy. And I just remember going like, man, that was real. That was, that workout was no joke and it felt good. I felt better at the end of it. And I couldn't tell you who that was or any details about the class. I just know that it had to have been really mellow to be a pregnancy one. And, um, um, and then I remember at the same time we had a friend of my, somebody my wife worked with burned us a copy of the P90X series, um, which was 10 years or so ago. I think that would get, that was kind of a big thing I was just hearing about was people going through this 90 day transformation of doing a six day workout. And I know I'd always played sports growing up, but I never really, never really occurred to me that you'd want to go six days a week. That seemed a little, you know, I was used to weightlifting schedules that were, you know, day on, day off or something. And just, I don't know why. It's probably why I was never very good at sports, but I just, I never did any, it was always like three days a week seemed like plenty and six days was too much. So anyways, yoga DVD, pregnancy DVD made me look at the stack of DVDs to maybe get myself in shape. But I remember there was a yoga disc in the p90x set and so i went to that one first and so at that point i was probably maybe the heaviest i've ever been i think i was probably 255 or 260 then and um i decided i did the yoga dvd like the next day in my studio and i think i spent the next 30 days just doing that one and the interesting thing is i haven't i haven't gone back to seeing it but i think it was a mix of like some bikram poses uh some ashtanga with a little like step aerobics mentality of that Tony Horton or whatever that might be the steakhouse, yeah. whatever the, the Tony guy that, um, does those P90X programs. And, um, and I just remember like, I went from the worst shape I'd ever been in to like manageable, like, like I, I had a little breath. I had a little flexibility. I didn't just feel like shit. I kind of, I, I was ready to start a workout regimen to some extent, you know, what just going from zero to something is the hardest. And then once you get the ball rolling a little bit, it seems a little easier to go. Mm -hmm. And um, that was 30 days of doing the Yoga X DVD. Then I went through and I did the whole P90X set before Arlo was born and went through the biggest probably personal transformation I'd ever seen in myself. I I lifted some weights when I, like I played sports, I lifted weights at home and I went running when I was younger. Um, but I didn't, I don't know if I really knew how to push myself. I don't know if I was really good at finding the edge. I think I, in sports, I would probably always try to huff and puff and, you know, bullshit do the last few legs of wind sprints or something. Cause I was always kind of the fat kid. So I could, you know, I was fatter than the biggest kids or, I mean, it was faster than the fatter kids, <laughs> you know, but I wasn't as fast as, I probably could have kept up with the faster kids a little bit more than I did, but I just kind of played the role of the chubby kid and I was just the fastest of the chubby kids. And, um, it seems like the way I kind of went through a lot of life and, uh, P90X finished that Arlo was born immediately then sat on the couch for a year and a half nursing a baby, right? <laughs> Maybe it wasn't a year and a half, but definitely like the first six months I was home with Arlo the first 18 months it was just me uh, well it wasn't just me it was just me during the day adrian would go off to work and pump and leave us with a little bit so i went from being the best shape of my life right before arlo was born 
and, and learning how to kind of really throw myself at a regimen, you know, every day, no excuses. I really appreciated the off day. Um, and so that was a good experience to go through, but then went ballooned right back up to my weight after Arlo was born because, you know, just the sleep was crazy. But right, right after that, I met, um, Steve Givens, you know him, right? Yeah. Remember him? Yeah. California. Yep. So he lived right down the street from me and he was friends with, we had a mutual friend together that was in the neighborhood at the time. And, um, he, when I first met him, he was doing a triathlon and it was right about the same time I was doing this. P- Maybe it was a little before I did the P90X because I just remember being, he's a programmer guy, right? I mean, if you know him, he's just such a mild guy. You know, he doesn't, that to hear that he was training for an, he'd never done a tri, triathlon before and he was going to train for a full Ironman, you know, it's, <laughs> it kind of g- gives you a sense of the will he's got. It's amazing. And, um, and then he did it. And I just remember like, dude, like I've never met anybody like you before. Like you, you said you were going to do it. You did it. And, you know, and it's like, it sucked. And you, I heard about all the, like how hard it was through the way you just pounded through and did it. And I remember when he was done with that, asking what he was going to do next and him saying he was into this Ashtanga yoga thing. Um, and he, he was really liking it. And um, um, he kind of, he kind of, he planted the seed for me. Um, so I'd gone through the P90X DVDs. I think he gave me the first David Swenson disc. And then he also, I feel like maybe that was the early days of me using YouTube and showed me the link to the Patabi Joyce video with um, Tim in the back left corner. Um, so like Steve introduced that to me every once in a while when he didn't make it to city yoga for the morning practice, I'd go over and try to kind of join him. I think we did that a couple of times. That was kind of fun. Um, and so I was, I was introduced to this Ashtanga thing and I knew it was cool. and I knew he was really into it. He showed me the yoga mala book and I remember like flipping through a few pages and going like, well, I'm going to stay away from that side of it. <laughs> you know, like th- this kind of sounds like some craziness. Um, at the time I was like, maybe, but I, so I just kind of tucked that book away for later. Um, but I remember telling him, I was like, I sure wish I could join you doing that morning thing that you do, but just with the baby, there's no way, you know, I have no idea when I'm going to sleep and I have no idea how many times during the night I'm going to get up. So I just can't commit to the morning thing. And he was said bummer. And, you know, we just, I, I was just hearing about his stories of going through it. And I, I remember not, too long before he left him starting to show me backbend stuff and you know he was kind of starting to try to in his uh living room he's trying to show me how he could drop back cold you know and i was like whoa that's so cool i didn't I would, <laughs> that's it seemed like such a bizarre thing to be working on um and um <laughs> but he was doing it and so then I probably had some personal stuff going on. He had some personal stuff. I know there was a little while longer he was in town, but then he ended up moving away. Um, and he's studying now pretty intensively with Tim Miller out at in Encinitas. And, um, um, but it, I just saw him recently. So it was good kind of getting back into touch with him. But okay. So my path, Steve introduced Ashtanga to me. Um, right after Arlo was born. So then it wasn't until like nine years later, I always knew, I always knew there was something in yoga and I needed to get back to it. And there was maybe three or four periods along that timeline for the next eight years that I maybe was like, I should do some yoga. I pulled up to David Swinson DVD and I tried to follow along with it. 
but I'd say less than 25 times, you know, maybe, maybe three days in a row and then two and then nothing. And then maybe a couple of days later, another round of that or something. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I always knew I wanted to get back to it. And then, um, coming out of a pretty difficult, um, personal relationship and business failure spell, I was kind of back on that path of getting my shit together and what am I going to do? And, um, somehow, I don't know if somebody turned me on to it. I remember reading the four hour work week. That's what it was. Is I remember when I was trying to make the business work, I really liked the idea of only working four hours. So that book stuck out to me. And so I got the Tim Ferriss book and it was a weird book. And I, it seemed kind of a snake oil salesman, like a rich dad, poor dad stuff, you know, especially the audio book. Um, but when things were, when I was kind of coming out of a funk, I started getting into his podcast and I always tell people he kind of, he kind of, he'll trip your douchebag meter right away. I wish, I wish I had a better way of saying it. Um, but like, just, I know a lot of people that they listen to five minutes of him and they'd be like, Nope, Nope. Not listen to this guy. He doesn't have anything to say. I want to hear, but I kind of saw the little gems he had. And I kind of saw some of his obsessive ways of thinking that I also had. And he had a little bit of a similar background with wrestling and, um, um, probably thinking he's a little smarter than he is. Um, so Tim Ferriss leads to Joe Rogan, right? I'll try to make this one quick. So listen to way too much Joe Rogan. I, I could go off on tangents on that that are funny. Um, but Rogan, when I was getting into him, it was back in, I think, it was summer of 2016. So then I think it was October of 16, they did a sober challenge. And so it was like, Three, Tom Segura, Burt Kreischer, Joe Rogan, and Ari Shafir were these three comedians on the Rogan show that were going to challenge themselves to a month of sobriety and 15 hot yoga classes. Okay, so I started hearing about this in like October, and I'm like, well, that sounds pretty cool. I wish I had friends I could do that with. That sounds like a fun thing, and I was definitely drinking too much at the time. And I think I was listening almost, you know, these few podcasts a week that Rogan was having and they're talking about, the, man, this hot yoga is intense. This is really weird, you know, and like they're, they're all talking about it and they're saying, I couldn't believe how hard it was. And this old lady in the right corner, she's just, she's there every morning and does it without fail. And, you know, just hearing them talk about it. And then I'm still drinking and I'm still drinking. And I think it got to be about October 13th. And uh, no, I'd, I'd been done drinking for a while then, but I'd had plenty of other bad habits. Just bad mental habits, behavioral pattern, just, I forget where I was at in that process. Anyways, I remember it being October 13th, this hot yoga challenge. And I thought, I'm going to see if I can join it just you know, remotely. So I went and I got a 30 day trial at the hot room and I needed, to, I was trying to get 15 classes by the end of October to keep up with them. I did that. And then I went approximately eight times a week for the next 400 days, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, and a kind of crazy thing happened. Um, I, I was, I was obsessed with it. I've never really put that kind of, I've put that type of obsession into art stuff and, but I'd never really done it for <clears throat> 14, 16 months or something just on working out. Usually those phases had always fizzled out. I'd gotten injured or something before and um 
So I was probably two, I know it was around 235, 240, got down to like 170, 168 at the lowest. Um, I was eating a wild diet too. I, w- I was eating mostly keto and then I was trying carnivore for a while where I was eating like three pounds of beef a day. I tend to do this, right? Like I started being a vegetarian when I was 16 years old. Um, I was vegan from, from 16 to 25, more than half of that. I was as vegan as I could be. You know, I don't know that today's standards of super vegans would really, you know, I probably still wear leather Birkenstocks and didn't go all the way, but I, um, I was trying and, um, and, but then I'll do that where I'll go from vegan to like pure carnivore, just cause like the like experimenter side of me, I like, I don't want to play around with 50 fifties. Like, let's just go from one extreme to the other and see what difference it made. And, um, that particular time I learned that man, a heavy meat diet is an interesting fuel system to run on, uh, especially with a higher fat and just zero carbs, you know, like I, I just took all of them out of the equation and, um, I was pretty militant about it and probably not a very fun guy to be around <laughs> for a year, but it was an interesting physical experiment. Um, I've never been built like that. It was like, a, I don't know. It was, it was weird, but it was, it was fun to see. And it was a, it was a fun to see the change because it was a real confidence builder. Um, just to kind of, especially as one reason I really like about hot yoga and there's these same things I have problems with, but the mirror is like, I, I ultimately, I don't think you want to practice with a mirror. I, I'd like to think you get to a point where that's, that's not such a good idea, but man, it really was useful. I always felt uncomfortable in that room. You know, a lot of young somethings really seemed like a lot of feather fluffing, you know, a lot of people strutting their stuff and doing, you know, wearing their underwear, they're all going to sweat for the next hour. It was just, it was a weird vibe. <laughs> me being 30s you know late 30s it was just like i'm married happy i don't like this isn't really my crew <laughs> it didn't really feel like but but then in some ways it did you know like i was there and so i like i had to deal with uh, old high school issues of uh which crowd do i fit in and so like i just had those kind of anxieties in that room oh and i i I'd never really done a yoga class um, from the time, you know, it was almost eight years prior to this moment of going to a hot yoga class. I'd really only done David Swinson practice a couple of times with Steve and done the P90X ones. Um, I did go to one invoke and it was, it was just a weird, it was right around the election. I think the second election of Obama or something. And like the teacher was incorporating politics into the, it was very, hippy dippy and political at the same time and it was like i remember leaving that class going like no 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 this i don't know about this yoga class thing like that that isn't i was used to the p90x workout thing i didn't want to be thinking about those things and i didn't like it, it just felt preachery i don't know exactly what resistance i was getting but it was there and um so then i went eight years before going to a class again and some of that returned when i went to the hot room style of classes but <clears throat> they seem way more of a um it's a song i mean each teacher has of the hundred percent of the words they say there it seems like you know they only have ten percent 
creativity. You know, like it's 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 a it's a workout program and it's a great workout program, but it's the kind of nice thing is it's really consistent, you know, and if you got a membership there, you know pretty much exactly what you're getting. But it kind of seems sing songy. All these things I can like the part of me, my my current me kind of puts those in the like that's why I'm not still doing it. So I don't mean to be judgmental of it. I actually think a lot of it has a whole lot of positive value. Um, it's just where my practice is at currently. Um, I, I've, I've had to kind of come up with these arguments for why I'm not still doing that every day. Mm-hmm. And um, so then beginning of 20, beginning of 19 is when I started practicing Ashtanga after a few months before that, realizing like, I was having some of the issues with the hot room. I was probably going, I was obviously going way too much. So I think the heat was starting to get to me. I was losing a lot. I mean, I would, I've never ran at such a low body fat percentage. So I was probably dehydrated. It was probably starting to feel like when I used to wrestle in high school and I was getting towards the end of a season, I was just, I was exhausted because I was sweating out 12 pounds a day. <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a lot of, a lot of material to keep running through your body. And, um, and I remember thinking like, that yoga Steve did sure seemed a lot better than that. Like not better, but like <clears throat> different. It, like that would be a good change. And so then I started going to Carol's classes, at least on Sunday. And I just remember like it being such a relief to have your full breath, you know, like to actually be able to just suck in all the air you could <clears throat> and throw it into some of these postures where the hot room you spent, I think it was really important to like find that like this is going to suck for the next hour. You're going to you're like in a sauna. So like this is going to be <clears throat> this is going to be a little difficult to endure especially if you go at 100% output. You're going to have to like kind of throttle your output to maintain a breath level at a place where you can keep it calm so that you can keep going through the whole thing because if you I, I learned the hard way that if you go too hard physically and you don't recover with your breath you're gonna you're gonna overheat you're you could just see the valves steam's going to be coming out of your ears and i think you see that all the time in those classes you know every usually one person a class will hit that kind of halfway point and you can just see them just explode and they're walking out and it's a really frustrating thing for that person sometimes the teacher lets it happen. Sometimes the teacher calls a little bit of attention to it. I never really think that's the best way to do it, but that's what tends to be what happens because they're really trying to get people to stay in there and like, don't leave, just sit down. You know, I I know why they're doing it because that person will probably feel a lot better for themselves if they just, just lay down and take that break. Um, um, I better get my uh, phone plugged in before I lose you. Um, So anyways, Carol's class is full breath. Um, and I, it just became real clear. I was like, oh, I need to get into the Shashanga thing. And the resistance for sure was, <clears throat> and the frustration was, I think back when I'd done, when Steve first introduced it to me, I had, I at least had the first half primary memorized and, or at least I felt pretty confident in it. And I was surprised eight years later, it was like, <clears throat> I couldn't believe how, how hard it was for me to re-remember it. But I think it was because I'd been doing so many like power vinyasa classes and Bikram style classes that it was easy for me to memorize the first primary because that was like the first thing I ever did. It was just, that was it. And then doing the power vinyasa that does so, so many weird variations on, um, um, well, I guess, 
you know, taking the sun salutation and throwing all the like warrior uh, poses into it. Um, it just, it threw me all off. I, 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 it was easy for me to memorize a Shtanga where it broke all, you know, your sun salutations don't have any warrior two in them. They're just, you know, warrior one and come back down and like, and then we're, we'll pull the warriors in later um, and, and group them all together. And um, just the, the organization of Ashtanga just makes so much sense to me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think the, uh, but it was, that was pretty gritty. Those first six months getting kind of bad. I thought I was in the best shape of my life, but to get to the point where I could finish a full primary, it was pretty clear where power vinyasa and Bikram weren't like as good as they were. They didn't have my conditioning at a point where I felt like a full primary was doable. And, um, that was humbling. And it was, it was, it was nice to go, back to Ashtanga and I, I I guess I'm old enough now or maybe I I had enough I was pushing hard I was probably pushing too hard in some ways but I was able to dial it back enough where I didn't hurt myself like my 20 year old self would have done um and I took a pretty conservative approach and I just said like you'll be ready for <laughs> you'll be ready through getting through the jump backs and the jump throughs at some point just you know push through and I'd seen enough <clears throat> particularly in my forward folds you know how bad I was when I started and could barely touch my knees, you know, that I was able to get to the floor and like, I was like, okay, I've seen progress here. I know it's real. And I, I, from everything I'm seeing from the people around me, there's continued progress, you know, like it just kind of keeps going. And as long as you have the patience and are willing to put in the work to do it, it'll show up and uh, yeah. Bring the story force full circle in the last week I had my first drop back and stand up, you know, pretty regularly. So, you know, Steve doing (laughs) years ago, years ago, Steve doing that in the, uh, by the front door of his old house. Um, and me just thinking that was crazy 10 years ago. Um, now I'm doing it as, you know, I'll be 40 this year. So it's just, it's bonkers. I don't, I, 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 I just, kind of don't know what to think about it most of the time (laughs) yeah well it's interesting too how that how in your journey you came um you know like we all get introduced to yoga in our own in our own time and you talked about really early on there was something speaking to you there and you know like a lot of us you explored different styles and and different um kind of modes of learning, whether it's at home or at a studio or different studios. And I think that's, you know, part of a lot of our journeys is, you know, exploring um, what we're drawn to and then, you know, then, then going after that. And that even talking back to when you were, when you were a little kid, you were, you were, um, felt that drawn, um, to art, right? So there was like a pull, like, oh, I like drawing. <laughs> and, and there was like, a, maybe fascination is not the word, but there was like an attraction to that. And so, you know, it sounds like that's been a big part of your, your authentic self is like, oh, I want to check this out, or I feel inspired in some way. Um, you know, to go, go down that path. And then, then distraction happens. I get that. And that's, uh, 
Which really, that's one of the big biggies on the, if you think of like yoga philosophy, the nine obstacles that block us on our way on the path of yoga. And uh, distraction is like, is like, uh, it's like a really big one. Um, it's like the senses kind of take over and drive our behavior and, and pull us in other directions. And, um, and that can be our mind as well, you know, popping around different, um, um, different focuses, I guess. Um, yeah. Dave, but, how, how, do, how do you look at mind? Like, do you have, like, do you have like a working definition for that? Like, do, do you put extents on it? Like, I'm always kind of confused when I hear people talk about mind because I always feel like it's almost brought up like it's anatomy. Like it's, like it's something that we've defined good enough that I don't hear too many variables. Any, I don't hear too many things exchanged for mind. It just seems like everybody says mind. I mean, I guess the yoga, we got chittas, right? Um, I, don't, I don't know if Sanskrit has a, a, a better like delineation or kind of subcategories of mind, but I have a hard time even imagining that <clears throat> mind is is limited to me i mean i feel like <clears throat> that sensation you get i mean even this to some extent this is happening with us now we're, we're not right next to each other but we're in a similar frequency and could i be thinking what i'm thinking now without your presence and would you be thinking what you're thinking now without my presence so it, it isn't in some tangible real non-woo-woo-y way like our minds are sharing a frequency right now. There's a mechanical way, a me mechanical metaphor analogy we could look at. Well, I think like, and when I say mind, I, I'm referring to uh, thoughts, right? Patterns of thought. And if you think about thoughts, what are, what are those thoughts? They're chemical, electrochemical um, uh, little reactions within our physical brain. And, mm -hmm the more science looks at um, vibration that, and, you know, kind of along that line. So the word you use frequency, mm -hmm. I think that's why your vibration affects my vibration at the level of thought. And, you know, I, I probably use the word mind as a way to separate it from consciousness. Okay. Um, where there's the, you know, maybe talk about witness consciousness where that part of our, our inner self that is, is observing our thoughts as they arise and you get into that in, in yoga philosophy or in meditation where, and you mentioned chitta and that yoga's chitta vritti nirodaha. So trying to, to calm or still or, be aware of the thoughts, the different kinds of thoughts, the different vrittis that we're searching for Narodaha. We're searching for a, um, whatever that is, the opposite of distraction where there's one pointed focus. Focus. And, mm -hmm. and so I believe that, you know, there's, I mean, there's, there's clear evidence out there, too. If you think about um, mob mentality or group thought, you mm -hmm. know, I mean, there's, it's really 
it's that I think people are vibing off each other's vibration yeah. at a molecular level with those, um, you know, those synapse in the brain. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a, an influence that can happen externally. And, and that's why, you know, we talk about being all connected. What does that mean? Yeah. Um, I think at a certain level, it means that, you know, there's this, um, intuitive part of ourselves that we're and that's not really the right word it's just like a there's like an inner um deep awareness in our cell at a cellular level that is influenced by other people's vibration and and you see that with charismatic speakers right or yeah or or teachers you know like like if you know to um using the yoga world, for example, but you can transfer this into the art world or the mm-hmm. comedians or, you know, any uh, public speakers, religion, you, you, you take a, you build a skill set around whatever discipline it is and you practice it you, and you've been able, you're able to embody it. And then that's, then you go out and teach it, and that makes a very solid teacher that's committed to a practice, embodying the practice, has this, you know, like an um, unselfish side to, to share it with other people. Um, and they become really very, very good teachers. And then what separates them from the teachers that take it off to the next level is really their charisma, their, their ability. I was talking with uh, Tim Feldman in a podcast not too long about the, ago about this, where they, they may be technically just as, you know, sound as a, a teacher that's, you know, teaching in a studio doing, you know, 10 or 20 students pretty consistently. Um, very, uh, very in depth in their learning and their abilities and the, and their style of teaching. But what separates that per- person that all of a sudden has this draw of, of the masses is that ability to um, uh, speak in a way that I think taps into that vibration that we were just talking about where, you know, it, it um, I mean, and it's different from a motivational speaker that's going to draw on emotion, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, like to get everybody pumped up and ready to go. I mean, I've, I've been to so many weekend events, whether it's yoga or 12-step recovery or meditation, where the teacher is able to um, create an experience. And part of that experience is sort of like cementing it with a with like a emotional connection where maybe it's um, letting go of something that's been holding you down, or maybe it's just creating this immense feeling of joy and, and elation. And, and our, and we remember that, you know, I used to, I spent many years in the restaurant industry and, and that's, you know, when we would train, you know, managers or servers or bartenders, you know, it was, and you always come back to that, you know, you know, we can provide a great experience with food and decor and ambiance, but, but what people will remember more than anything they ate or drank or the, 
the color scheme of the place, they're going to remember how you made them feel. Mm-hmm. A month later, when they're talking to their friends about where they're going to go out, they're going to they're going to be drawn back to that place that made them feel um, a certain way. So that's, and I think that you know, kind of circles back into that vibration. You know, that what are feelings, right? The thoughts with emotion as mm-hmm. a chemical and electrical charge to them mm-hmm. uh, and you know i don't know and, and it probably goes back to our primitive brain and how we you know developed as human beings um obviously like a little um i was thinking about this this week and it's maybe a little tangential but you know we're in a pandemic and all of us at least the majority of people on the planet are having an experience of a global pandemic. And what does that do at a, at a primal level? It, it create, you know, we're all responding, fight, flight, freeze, fold. You know, there's, there's an instinct of, of um, dealing with stress and uh, like an invisible life threatening stress that is innate to our, our species, right? So the survival of the human race, <laughs> you know, when we get, when we feel threatened, we, we have a visceral response, of, you know, just in a deep, deep way. And, and it's, um, I don't know, it's, it's kind of interesting how this like whole vibration thing and group kind of group think to use was at the Orwellian term, <laughs> right? But, but, you know, like if, if everybody around you is in in um, fight mode, we'll be have a tendency to be in fight mode. If everybody's around us is in flight, like all right, let's let's go live in a compound in rural Idaho, you know, <laughs> or or if they're in freeze, we're like, oh, my brain, you know, my brain is foggy. I just can't get anything done. I feel stuck. I'm, you know, that's that's that freeze mode of the stress response mm-hmm. um, and so i don't know what kind of made me go there but um but i guess i guess you know kind of drawing it back into yoga and, and what you described is like you were developing this this enter like awareness and a, a more a deeper understanding of of your own maybe patterns um, and the impact of a practice on your life at a, I, I guess the a question I would pose to you is like, um, when you, I know you talked about finding Ashtanga and that resonated with you and it brought back the experience with Steve, is that, would you say is kind of where yoga became more of a, um, like a deeper practice versus a physical practice for you? For sure. For sure. Um, I, and I, I'm going to give that one <clears throat> to Carol for sure. Um, wanting to do, wanting to do an Ashtanga class. Okay. So I gotten over the hurdle of overcoming an uncomfortable yoga class that I didn't want to return to. And I did that by going to the hot room, which at the beginning I didn't want to go to. <laughs> and I just made myself 
I, and more than that, like I, I was, I remember I, this is probably the only thing I was trying to say earlier when I got off tangent, I would just go into the front center and the mirror that was such a, like if, if you had a time lapse in the camera of, of people going into the hot room without a doubt, like it's like predictable the places that people would not go, <laughs> you know, like you could, you could like write a computer program to say like, this is going to be the last pick every single time. And I just remember going like, well, nobody else wants this spot. So I'll just go right here. You know, like this is, if this is the worst spot, I'll get here early and I'll just sit here and then nobody else will have to worry about it. And, um, that's kind of what I did every morning. And, um, and so I just beat it into me, you know, it was like, um, I started out being a teenager that didn't want to do the dishes to becoming a freshman in high school and not wanting to do the dishes to a senior that still didn't want to do the dishes, but had a really elaborate routine that he looked forward to executing flawlessly every day. You know, it was just, I acknowledged the task. I acknowledged all the benefits it had for me and I just figured out a way to make it fun. And it was, it was, it was a blast. And the, um, the boost my ego got was pretty great too. I need, I needed that at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so how am I getting back off that track? Go to Carol. Well, Carol starts reading the sutras. Well, now there's a whole nother level of resistance. There's the old Catholic school side of me that has done everything I could to run away from any formalized religion because I just, my whole family's Catholic. You know, my grandma was one of 18 kids like drinking when I was 11, you know, like all the stereotypes there. I've, I've been through them. I just not, not my thing. You know, it's always been, I've always been extremely resistant to that. So Carol reading the sutras at class was a weird thing, but I remember that first day I went, I have no idea which sutra it was. It'd be funny to know and hell she might even have notes of it. I could, I could probably do the data search on it, but what, whatever the hell she read before we started, and then the practice I had, and then the what I, what I guess what, what I'm learning now is the yoga nidra or whatever that she does at the end, mm-hmm. where she kind of runs you through all your parts. And I just remember like leaving that class. I'm like, I have never left a hot room. I mean, I've left a hot room class feeling that good physically, but I'd never left like, oh God, it even seems, there's, there's a resistant side of me now that doesn't even want to say it. It's like, I feel it in my heart now. <laughs> you know, like the kind of weird tension or vibration that it is. It's like, I left with a real, whoa, whoa, what the hell is this kind of thing? And, um, and so then I was kind of hooked on that. And, you know, a few more weeks of coming on the weekends to the community class, a few more readings. I start paying attention to the book she's reading up there. And I'm like, Gregor Melly. And, I, you know, so I'm, all my tools are gone. Usually the normal me, I'd take a pen out and write on my hand the author's name or whatever. But now I'm trying, I have to remember, I have to remember for the next hour and a half that name to try to Google it, probably because I'm not smart enough to realize you had it on the front shelf and I could have just bought it. <laughs> but I got it on Amazon. I, I should have just got it through you. I'm sorry for the non-purchase, but I'm a cheap ass. And um, I think I got a used version. And then I started reading, you know, I, I wanted more. So I started reading the sutras, just I'd read one a morning. And um, and most and I, it was weird it was just like going to those classes at the very beginning most of the time i read it i'm like what in the hell is this i don't like what's it trying to say and then i'd sometimes but little blurbs would catch me oh, i like that i'd write a little something about that maybe but then you know whatever however many there are i would 
caught myself. And sometimes if they were real short, I'd read three or four. So I guess I was, I was on average reading more than one a day, but I would, I would read them. And so I probably went through it like three or four times. And then it started to be that my observations or the things that it made me think of, I saw what I saw the time before and I, Oh yeah. And then I have a little tag on the end of that. And I add a little more to each one of these. And I'm like, like, I still don't understand these things, but I'm realizing it's really important and I, I, I want to be open to learning more about it. And I, 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 right now what comes to mind is um, Taylor Hunt's workshop that you let me attend, um, you know, and him talking about doing, I've never been in the 12 steps program. I was probably, I, w- I probably would have qualified at a time or two, um, but I've, n- I've never been through the program. Um, but when he was talking about working the sutras rather than like reading them, that really made me think. And then he absolutely blew my mind with the yoga is the study of now rather than now begins the study of yoga. Like I'd kind of heard it translated so many times and like, boy, did na- na- yoga is the study of now is damn near the same words, but it changed everything for me. I mean, it was, it was like, that's what it's been all along, of course, but now like that's what, all I've ever done with art, all I've ever done with any idea I've ever tried to do, it's all about being now, like right here, right now. I don't want to worry about later. I don't want to worry about what I did earlier today. I just want to explore whatever the fuck this now is. But it's hard. you got to like, it's like surfing this wave that if you go behind the crest of it, you're left behind, you're gone. If you go too far ahead, it's going to come crashing on you. And there's just this like sweet point that you can you can do it. And if you catch it, sometimes you can ride it. I'm amazed at how long you can ride the wave. You can just stay on it. Um, but it's that flow state thing. I guess people are talking about a lot and, and it's like, it requires just a certain amount of difficulty, not too much, but not too little. You got to just kind of like find that thing. And, and I look back at all the art stuff I've done and I realized like, that's all I cared about was being right there. And then I, I, I think we were talking about this yesterday. It's just, I, I have, I have hundreds of cubic yards of shit I've built, you know, that have all been, they're the excrement of that now process. You know, it was, I, I consumed materials. I, I generally always worked with trash, you know, and when I had a um, shop across the street over in the CCIC, I had a ridiculous amount of space to store trash and I had a lot of neighbors generating interesting trash. So <laughs> it, it, it became this me hoarding materials to store them away because there's no way I could buy the materials at the scale to do this grand art project. So I was like storing away for a major art project that I had in my mind that I never got a, I never had any time to build because I was so busy storing the shit to build the thing. You know, I took up all my extra time acquiring materials to do this ridiculously ambitious thing that I didn't even really know what it was going to be. I just knew it was going to be big, you know? And, <laughs> and so I, I just, I made and I made and I made and I thought ambition and, um, ambition would just get me there. That's all I needed. And, um, it just got me into a lot of trouble. You know, there wasn't, there was never a part of me that stepped in and was like, you don't even know what you're trying to do. (laughs) You know, like, how are you trying to succeed at this? Um, I'm getting off track. Ashtanga, um, 
So Astanga scratches that itch. I mean, that's kind of what I'm talking about is that, yeah. you know, I, I, and I, I'm not collecting more stuff, you know, I'm, I'm, I guess in some ways I'm collecting poses and there is the little bit of a dangling carrot there. I'm, I don't know. I, I guess, I, you know, in the last couple of weeks, I, I started doing the first couple of poses of intermediate and I feel like they're a long way away, but I kind of like the resistance I have towards them because I remember having that resistance towards back bends. And so I kind of like that there's this thing I don't want to do and it just kind of keeps it interesting. But the reason I don't want to do it is partly because there's so much in primary series. I feel like I could spend years here. And in terms of what I've learned about Ashtangis, I'm only a year, a little over a year into it. So it's like, I'm just, I'm a newbie, right? <laughs> um, well, I think like, like the interesting thing about, um, yoga and and that the ashtanga series in particular is like it can always um be new and and there's all these little nuances and any style of yoga has this but like i feel like when you in looking at the uh, breath and the alignment and the drishti there's uh and your bandhas like you can take downward facing dog and shift your gaze point and change the whole pose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know? And, and uh, that's where like Ashtanga has this nice blend of movement and pause. So those five counts in a pose or eight counts, and you know, depending on where you're at. And that's our opportunity to, um, I feel like fine tune what, what we're doing. And, you know, we, and we all, you know, we all kind of get, get in it when we get in it. And, you know, like, you know, I was introduced to yoga in the early 2000s. So it wasn't, it was uh, more of a sort of traditional, almost like Hatha style yoga in a non-heated room. And then I think 2009, I went to my first hot yoga class at the Broad Ripple, because that was like, a trendy thing and it was popping up as a and and like much like you i'm like oh wow this is like i mean this is like intense but there there was dealing with like the old sort of high school mentality right of like mm-hmm. you want to kind of fit in with the cool kids or or you, you want to be on, alone or you know you know like and um finding the way that to walk through the intensity of it and the heat and the movement and the loud music and all the stuff that was going on um, until I got into the deeper dimensions. Right. And I found David Swenson's book, that um, practice manual. And I found, you know, light on yoga and found Rolf Gates book um, meditations from the mat that each one of those in their own way, delve into the deeper aspects of yoga maybe in a technical sense, maybe in a philosophical sense, maybe in a contemporary language of, you know, how this ties into life. And I was like, oh, this is, I mean, this is a deep well. I mean, like not a style of yoga, but yoga in general is mm-hmm. a very deep well. And uh, Oh, you so, just said study of yoga in general. Like, so I've been thinking about it now, like, 
I think where we'll get to like the thing that got me into wanting to do the yoga teacher training is I want to figure out a way to talk to kids about it. I don't know how to do it. I'm not a teacher. So I'm trying to figure out, I think that's what my creative project is going to be is like learning how to play make believe, but I want to teach this yoga through, through another language. And I think we kind of maybe mentioned that before we started recording and the Taylor saying, yoga is the study of now all i keep thinking is nowology you know like the study of now nowology and it's like how can i teach yoga without any sanskrit not an ounce <laughs> you know like just put it into my own words because every time i say a sanskrit word i realize it's purpose but i also feel like a poser <laughs> you know like yeah. like i feel like i can only know it so good not knowing that language you know that it's it's basically it's a level of faith i've taken i mean just like I feel with science, like I, I trust it, but I don't necessarily know what all the terminology really means. And I feel a little weird when I get a little, you know, outside my comfortable range of um, bro science, you know, <laughs> like, like, okay, just try to acknowledge, man, you're, you're an art student, you're a sculptor, you, you only know, <laughs> you know, you're just putting stuff together that you've heard on podcasts. So, you know, don't be too confident. Um, but at the same time, you can try to un explain these ideas and you can, I don't know. We're all trying to give the lessons of our fathers, right? I mean, that seems like, you know, at, at a certain point in life, we hear what our dad's been telling us for years. <laughs> right. And, you know, we just weren't able to get it. And so maybe that, and then, yeah, but then that makes me think of Harry Chapin, right? That Cats in the Cradle song. Like, <laughs> um maybe that's just my place in this game is <laughs> that I'm in this weird transition between, I, you know, figuring out what dad taught me and then trying to teach something to my little one and um, man trying to distinguish Niyama from Yamas and Asanas and Pranayamas and Pratyaharas. It's like, I love it. Well, what a great classification, but I need to figure out a way to explain that. I'm trying to figure out how to explain that to the 10 year old me, you know, how do I, how do I short circuit my path via whoever else I impact? How do I, how do I get them to not have to, maybe they do, maybe they have to get to it, but maybe I could at least plant the seed like that yoga DVD that I watched with my wife that planted the seed of yoga 10 years before I really got knee deep in it it at least planted that seed. I knew it was there. I knew it was germinating. Um, and that's what I want to do with the kids. It's just, you can get control of your shit. It's a lot of work and it's going to be a pain in the ass and it'd be a lot funner to do other things, but you can do it. So when you lose it, maybe you'll remember that you can do it to pull yourself out of it. <laughs> right. Right. Well, um, all right. So like, uh so what what drew you to the interest in kids yoga? I mean, teaching kids. I know you're a young child. Yeah. Um, interesting. Uh, I haven't been asked that question so specifically. It's nice to kind of try to think about it in that context. Um, okay. So ever since I shut down the business, I've my main responsibility to the house has been to get this house going. I'll try to stay away from that subject because it's a deep well. Um, <laughs> but it, it's a big home renovation and um, 
I have brief moments of success followed by lots of inactivity and I tend to wear off the peaks <laughs> by the long periods of inaction. Um, but it's an overwhelming thing. I, I like a fool, I stripped a hundred 20 year old house down to the studs uh, with not nearly enough budget to do it. And uh, another place where my ambition got the best of me. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm winning that battle. I think barely <laughs> um, we're living, we're living in it. If, if nothing else, we're, we're definitely living in it. Yeah. Um, but it's a challenge. And um, so I haven't had ever since I shut my artistic business down, God, I didn't really talk about that. I can ramble on still miss massive details um i've been really trying to understand what a life with a little bit more purpose would feel like um uh making the art business i was trying to do was basically just making creative things which was neat but they it so often was things that had no point or they were just little they just weren't much different than a Gucci bag. They were just a Gucci bag that somebody wanted to carry to one particular event, you know, and I was never dealing with the in person. I was always dealing with somebody who had a client who wanted this fancy thing and they needed me to help them make it. So they needed it done as good as possible to make their client happy, but they needed it as cheap as possible to put any money in their pocket. And it was always my responsibility to get, the coolest thing at the bottom dollar <laughs> and probably not the best way to run a business. Um, but I tried, I tried, tried for way too long and, 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 um, yeah. Anyways, that wasn't, a, that wasn't a very rewarding path. So the, the idea of, of working with kids seems to be like, it's weird. It's like a very practical thing in a way. It's the only thing that makes any sense to me. Like, there's a pessimistic side of me that says most adults are lost causes, you know, that we're, I know how hard it was for me to overcome my programming and to get any sense that I had any self-control to get my shit together. I, I hate to feel this way, but oftentimes I feel pessimistic that it's just like, I don't think it's for the masses. I don't think from what I see of a random sampling of the people in my life, I don't see the willingness to go through what I did very high. I have five or six people. Now there's clusters. I go to yoga, you know, I, 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 there, there are clusters of people that have a much higher rate. And if I saw that across the whole population, I would like to thin, think I would drift towards optimism. Um, but what I see outside my door tells me that there's a lot of people here that aren't going to take that path. Um, and, um, it just seems like you got to go after the kids. You got to go after the kids and you got to go after the least likely to see that kid. Like you need to go for the low, like, like they'll fuck your whole thing up. The problem kids in a class, they'll be your distraction. They were, they weren't really me, but I, I associate with them a lot. The kids, the class clowns and the kids that always got into trouble need the most help. They probably have the most shit going on um, that need addressed and they are going to rob the experience from the other kids in the class. They're going to consume so much of that teacher's energy um, that the good kids, the kids that not good, I don't want to say good, the kids that have their, their parents have handed them a set of skills that let them sit down in the classroom and focus attentively and actually 
do that work. The problem kids are going to pull so much away from them and the problem kids are just going to get shame for it, making their situation worse. And um, I just, it, it, it seems like the only place to put attention is in kids and the, the, the ones who struggle amongst them the most. And then maybe, I, th- I think Kara's told you about the experience at the prison, right? The, yeah. Um, where she brought me in and we, we kind of worked with the young guys. Um, I guess it's not prison, it's jail. So the guys in jail oh, that were under 18. I didn't hear about that. I, I knew she used, to, she used to go to a men's prison. Actually, yeah, we just back. Yeah. 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 Well, we just did a, like a four week course or whatever at Marion County jail. And it was with, um, I think it was maybe a total of like, maybe 16 guys. It was two groups, I think. So maybe it was 16 guys total. I feel like there were eight each time. And, um, you know, they were in jail for serious, serious enough to be kept with the adult population. Um, so we didn't know any details about anything. Um, but they're in jail. They're under 18. They're waiting. They've either I think they're waiting to go to trial. I don't know exactly how the whole trial thing works, but they're either going to go to trial and go away, get out, or they're going to go off to Pendleton or something somewhere and spend a long time in there. And um, boy, that was a weird, Carol asked me if I'd do it. I don't think I really, I was happy to do it. I was, I I didn't know what I was getting into and I didn't want to think about it too much. I was just like, yeah, I'll do it. Whatever. I'll do it. And I did. And, um, oh man, like they're just kids, you know, <laughs> like they're in there for some adult shit, but they just reminded me of those kids goofing off in grade school class. You know, I, they, they would have been high school, I guess all of them, but I just couldn't, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I wasn't seeing dark murderers in there or anything, you know, like there was, there was just like, I just saw a, a kid that probably got talked into doing something he didn't want to do or or he was in the wrong place or the wrong time or he got, you know I don't know I don't know any of the circumstances and there was no place to talk about it I just couldn't believe what I was seeing and I was pretty it was pretty eye-opening to me to see how they had some of the resistance you know but they were pretty open to it yeah. and um it was one of the few times my silly I think it's hilarious watching me do some of the poses I mean just because in my mind I'm just this fat chubby kid that can do some weird stuff, you know, like it, it's silly, but I think it was kind of fun in front of those guys because you're like, Whoa, you know, like how, how's this old man doing this shit? You know, cause they try to do it and they couldn't come close. And, you know, so it was less like a standard Carol tried to kind of run it like a, a standard yoga class. And I think she would have had luck. I think the kids actually would have been really receptive to it, yeah. but the place we were in was so obnoxiously loud. It had this exhaust fan that her voice just could not keep up with it. And so I think she at a certain point kind of just, you know, tried to run them through as much as she could try to get them to relax. But then it was like, okay, watch Mike do something silly, you know? (laughs) And and so, so they'd try to copy me. So she'd work them up. I just make it a little bit harder every time, a little bit harder. And you know, the more athletic guys in there, they could hold up, keep up with me to a certain point. And then they, you know, and then when the athletic guys was like, Whoa, you know, look what this old guy's doing. The other guys seemed to all kind of jump in and it was like, it was, it was cool. It, it was neat. <clears throat> I tried coaching wrestling with a friend like a year before that. And it had similar kind of like ups and downs of that experience. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're, you may have 
kids and maybe troubled kids is a population that you could you can be really effective with and and you and you feel you know in talking with you like you've got that desire to like you know i want to work with kids and so i think that you know what you just described is like i mean such a huge need right now um to give you know give the you know all kids exposure to, to yoga and the tools that yoga can bring to your life to help you know kids cope and i've been a long time firm believer that that we can teach kids uh, or show kids how to use these tools even if it's just the breath and learning to breathe and pause because they're they're given a moment before they make it make a decision right yeah and and you talked to you you mentioned it too like you don't know how these kids are in there wrong place wrong time did something without thinking pure influence and you know sometimes it just it just takes five seconds or three seconds to pause and make a better decision and if you're in the constant stress mode which a lot of a lot of the kids that are having trouble or have uh, stuff going on at home you know where where that fight flight freeze fold part of their nervous system is engaged all the time and we talk in yoga about the deep breathing deep nasal breathing engaging that parasympathetic side of the nervous system puts that stress mode at bay for a minute so you're not coming from a place of primal survival you're coming in you you can re-engage the executive functions of that you know front part of our brain right so yeah and that's really what we're teaching in in mindfulness aspects of yoga and uh and yeah like kids kids need that and 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 more so than ever right now what we're i think finding in this pandemic there's a resurgence and in interest in things like yoga and mindfulness and meditation is because people are in stre- are stressed you know and it's it's primal it's unavoidable you can't say well i'm not going to be stressed over this <laughs> and then walk out to a grocery store where everybody has a mask on and there's yeah. and then there's social distancing so so yeah no i think I think it sounds like you're really cut out to, I mean, like you were talking about purpose and it it sounds like this is an an evolving purpose that you've got. And plus, like you're a father, so you've got the experience of kid, you know, raising a child 24-7. Yeah. um, Which gives you another edge, if you will, to teach kids because you have that perspective as, you know, as a parent and then your own experience in life and all that. So anyway, I was kind of a little bit of a tangent, but um, something you said earlier um, when you were talking about that flow state. Yes. And, um, you know, I mean, we can say more about kids, but this thought just came to mind. Um, You know, that's the, that begins with the breath in the moment. And, um, 
which is what we're talking about teaching the kids. But, you know, as our yoga practice evolves and, and you may plant a seed with a eighth grader that doesn't really start to, to, uh, you know, grow above the surface until they're 25, you know, or it may be they obsessively go th- into yoga through high school, you know? So, so you never, you never know, I guess is my point, but like at the other end of that, when they can find that sort of that flow state and that um, one of my teachers talks about the idea of yoga, calming the thoughts, the vrittis, the, the chatter of the mind so that we can align ourselves in the present moment in the now Mm -hmm. and discover who we really are, discover our own timeless. I mean, what, you know, if we separate mind and thoughts from consciousness and what is consciousness beyond timeless self-awareness, you know, and, and so, which to me is kind of the ultimate goal of yoga to get to that truth about ourself that we that can't happen when we're compulsively obsessively running around doing all this stuff Mm -hmm. and tie this back into our conversation with you know that's a such a powerful teaching which i'm excited to hear that that's where you're drawn especially to get into the kids and then if you um um look at other like other discipline, like art, right? I mean, I think art has such a such a valuable, um, like a lasting impact on humanity. <laughs> so, you know, like you were, you know, you were kind of, you know, making almost a little disparaging comments, of, you know, about your own journey in art, you know, like, um, but I, I wouldn't discount that. You know, I think like the, there's a, you know, I, I, like all of us have a creative side to me, but I'm, I'm not, I'm never been an artist mm-hmm. or had that, any of that ability. But, uh, you know, I, I will read um, a poem or a story maybe written hundreds of years ago by an artist, you know, and, yeah. and it, and it moves my heart. Right. So there's something that artists do that invoke, uh, emotional response that's timeless, you know, and I think that's, you know, so key to humanity, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, um, that, um, you know, because it because it brings joy to people, and um, you know, and I think that's that's what yoga does. It it helps clear away the clutter, so we can um, be our own true, authentic self, and and maybe then our purpose unfolds. You know, like maybe you know, there's yeah, I've just seen the transformation happen when people you know come in and get a, a practice going, and then you know, they start doing things they had wanted to do for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then they find this immense joy in doing it. And then 
whatever population they're teaching with has this this uh, blossoming effect. <laughs> and I think that's really about you know, like making the world a better place, you know. And I, I you know, I think that's what um, yoga, the fact that it's not tied to any religion, and it's um, purest essence doesn't really have any dogma attached to it, you know, because it's very, it's very suggestive. Like mm -hmm. if you dig in the Yoga Sutras, like you can try this or not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and this is what you'll get, or this is what you won't get. You know, so so yeah. I think it, it it makes it accessible across a broad range of people, and um, I don't know where I was really going with that, other than you know that that that, that flow state we get yeah. there, however we get there. Well, yeah. I mean, you just set me up for you know a thing I. I've been really so grateful for yoga for in my life is that it's um, it's brought me to some type of peace with the religion I was raised in. You know, um, it's funny. My wife and I will joke around about all our family members. Um, and my dad, my mom and dad met via Catholic circles, I guess, kind of, kind of, yes, kind of, no, kind of went to the same school. They were in the same general area were introduced on a blind date i could go off it's a funny story but um my dad could care less about catholicism you know for the most part other than he likes all the people he met that were catholics so you know like he likes the community he doesn't really do the the church stuff and then my mom's all about the church stuff and so anyways where i was going was that my wife and i will joke around about all the older adults in our life who's got their shit together most and it's like we almost always feel like it's my mom, you know, the one we don't necessarily agree with the faith she has, or we've had issue our own personal resistance and hesitation towards it. But God damn, the stuff she has always said, like it's given her peace. It's like, she has this like face. She has this thing to return to, you know, the same thing that had her writing letters to me when I was a teenager, um, keeps her sane during this whole thing and not being able to hug her kids or grandchildren for three months. Um, and it's, it's kind of remarkable watching how she keeps it all together. And it, it's not, it's not an insignificant detail that it is in this faith of this thing. She doesn't really understand and she just accepts that she can't understand it. And, um, it's just made me realize like, isn't that what all religions have ever been? Like if I go back, if I go back to, dreaming I'm a caveman, right? I could go off on these science fiction stories, but it requires that Devs is a show that I'm ate up with right now. And it has a couple elements that have helped me feed my own narrative. It's kind of, you know, for the same type of thing I'm using, uh, the Bhagavad Gita and maybe some little bits of elements. I still kind of resist the Bible, but little things that come into mind, come into mind there. So I'm trying to like build the story up in my mind. And it's like, well, that's what dads have been. I mean, humans have been doing this to teach lessons to their young and they want to teach these lessons to their grandchildren. The, all religion is, is a form of technology. You know, it's just some way. And then if you think about it, technology, it's less like uh, inventing the steam engine. It's more like creating an operating system. And the way to get an operating system going is to try to parse out the details, assign all the variables, put some things in there and condense it into the story that can actually be told and told throughout generations. And 
it's oral because they didn't actually have the physical physical technology of the steam engine or the piece of paper <laughs> to yeah. write it down. They had to they had to come up with a way of getting knowledge across generations because they were seeing this pattern of getting older and dying happening pretty regularly. So we got to get this shit out. And I think that's the funny thing is that this yoga practice and this focus and this study is getting me to realize that the creative thing I'm trying to do right now is learn how to play make believe and tell it as a story. Like Mm -hmm. take away, like my pictures can help. Like if I have them on hand or my note cards or these little messages I leave myself, like I can bring that into the game of storytelling and I can help people by like pointing to the different characters maybe, but I'm like, I'm, I'm really, my main goal is to try to figure out what the story I'm trying to tell is. Okay. And uh, yeah, I was drifting probably a little bit there, but it made me think of that. And yeah. Really- well, and then, um, yeah. And if you think about yoga, you know, it was written down. It's controversial. How long ago it was written down by Patanjali, but you know, 1500 to, 4,000 years ago, let's say. Yeah. And and it was an oral tradition, some would say, for 10,000 years before that. I mean, yeah. because that's how the teaching was, right? And yeah. That, and so this, um, you know, this timeless wisdom that the, you know, the practice tries to embody and share and you know, spread to the masses has been, you know, it's like, a, you know, everything you said, like it just, you know, like what religions try to do, it, it has never been a religion. <laughs> yeah, right. And it, but it, it, it is designed that it can enhance just about any religion or, you know, like a belief system. And um, so I think it's, you know, I think it's like, a, I, I'm, I'm grateful I've, I've gotten to be exposed to it. And much like you, I got to go through a journey that brought me to a place of wanting to have a deeper understanding of the, you know, the ancient texts and the meaning. And, um, and that's, you know, a lifelong study for sure. And the, what's, interesting to me kind of about Sanskrit is like, uh, and, and, and I, you know, I'm actively pursuing trying to um, learn, um, you know, study Sanskrit. So I, so I, or at least study with people that have studied Sanskrit Yeah. <laughs> because you can take one word and like the word now, right? Atha, you know, yeah. um, and, and what, you know, we have an English translation of that word, but if you look in the context of how the word was used thousands of years ago and in Sanskrit, how, the variations of the meaning of now, I mean, there's like this whole other thing or Narodaha, you could talk about it for two hours. There's like, there's one word in these yoga sutras, which like you said, are short little one or two sentence threads. There's 196 of them. And, and, but there are all, all these words, you know, there may be the same word used in two parts of the sutras that is used in a totally different way. And, and the meaning is, is very different. So, so having, so that, that's just is like, whoa, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I mean, there's, 
there's a lifetime of study here that, um, um, you know, can get us into a deeper understanding. And, and I think it, it, it has to go hand in hand with the physical practice, whether it's asana or meditation or setting and meditation. Um, and that's kind of, uh, you know, that's just kind of, kind of where, where I'm at in the big scheme of things. Um, but the, um, what else? Um, this is kind of, weren't we talking about this yesterday with the, um, and it was a, an issue that came up in one of the recent um, teacher training classes of the, the transmission, like in my little like science fiction story that I'm trying to, I, I want to set it up like a kid's cartoon, you know, like I feel like it needs to be a real, I think of it as a sitcom. It needs to like introduce its characters, a, a basis of his characters in the first five minutes and get you to understand it. And and I need to tell the story so I can start using these like metaphors. And I'm like, ah, oh, this is what, this is what all these things are doing. All of these religions are just these like story formats to try to tell it. And it's like, I feel like you were talking about the species. Like we have, I think we have a right to keep telling our story, to keep making it better. I mean, I think that's part of what we're doing. And I think that's maybe what this creative thing is, is we're just trying to get the story out. And so I get to that point and now I start to kind of like enter the metaphor of the story and to try to teach it to the kids and introduce this like science fiction element. I keep, and I like the science element because I know there's a lot of resistance that, to religion by saying science. And it's like, well, we got to understand that science is a belief system too. And it proposes some pretty far off things, you know, and that's one of the reasons I mentioned devs earlier is because it's talking about multiple worlds, which is implied in a lot of, you know, theoretical physics and it's the way they're, you know, quantum computing and, and the general problem between general relativity and quantum mechanics is like science is really struggling. And then you throw consciousness into the science discussion and it's, it has nothing to help us. I mean, it's it just, it's, it's, it, it's flailing in the water. And, um, um, oh, oh, where was that thought going? Okay. So devs suggests simulation theory, which I love simulation theory. And I think it has a lot of really interesting thought experiments happening within it but then it's also saying simulation theory in multiple worlds which suggests at first it started out on a track towards determinism and that we lived in a deter deterministic universe and we had no free will but then the story oh, i shouldn't spoilers maybe you know i'll try not i'll try not to give any spoilers but um you kind of get opened up to this idea of multiple worlds and it there's these suggestions that um every maybe every moment we're fracturing off into different realities and all of those realities are really existing and okay then what if we are and then i imagine i my story is starting to take things into a video game realm where we always think of ourselves as the players of the game because we assume we have free will but if we were to realize we don't have free will and we're living in a deterministic universe, in some sense, we're like Mario and Luigi and Super Mario Brothers. We're, we're the meat puppets that are getting marionetted through this world. And we, 
those kids in jail didn't do anything to get in jail. They were played to get in jail. And so then I imagine who's the player, you know, who's dangling the strings, who's God, this would be the God level, but in my world, it's fractal in both directions, you know, so you never, and then once you start humming on the idea that God goes infinitely in and infinitely out, once your brain really starts spinning, you just catch yourself, you're just like, that's the thing you're thinking about, this crazy ass thing that you can't even wrap your head around. There's no stop trying to make it a physical thing. But these other dimensional beings that are playing us as avatars in this game, you know, we're all just meat puppets. <laughs> and, and I like it, that I, I started on this thought because of the thing we said yesterday and that related to the teacher training was the, I think of it as the plug and the ponytails in together and um, avatar, um, you know, like it seems like this meditation process or the yoga process or the, the, flow state, the riding the wave of the now is about sitting the meat puppet, the meat ship down and plugging in with a home and like getting, getting some type of like download or, or operating system update or a, a patch on a bug, you know, <laughs> and, and we don't get it enough. You know, we used to get good sleep or we used to, it used to get dark and we'd stare up at the skies and wonder what the fuck is up there. But now we're inside our house and we don't fall asleep like that. And we put this false sun in front of our eyes at night and we're reading all the wisdom that it's bringing us, that it's really just causing us anxiety and stress. And we're, we're not, we're not tuning in to whatever the hell it is. What is that thing that happens in a good sleep from going to sleep to waking up? you know when you wake up if you had good sleep and you know when you wake up if you had shitty sleep, but you don't know where you're at. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know what dimension you were in, mm -hmm. but you have some awareness, not like you don't have that and under anesthesia. So there's like, to me that like, I don't understand what consciousness really is, but it's the thing that is there when I'm sleeping, but maybe not there as much. When, it's the difference between the two, <laughs> you know, maybe yeah. it's not a binary situation. It's just like, consciousness exists somewhere those two uh trajectories are pointing towards consciousness maybe <laughs> you know like they they seem it might just be correlated might not be causated but causated i don't think that's the right way to say it but um yeah you know and it seems like you can only understand you can only understand these stupid ideas through a fictional story so i'm trying to like i feel like i sound crazy if i just say them so i need to put characters to everything and if i could just put it out as a um, cartoon or a comic strip then i can like say all these crazy things through the voice of another character and i don't have to sound like the wacko but well no i think i think you're onto something and i know like uh, i have a friend lori who years ago started a comic strip in LA. Um, oh, I think I listened to some of that, that podcast. I think I listened oh, yeah. to it all. Yeah. 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 Lori, Lori Cyril, lady yoga superhero, you know, and she's still writing it. I think it, I don't know if it's like in the LA times or in some yoga magazines out on the West coast and how syndicated it really went. But also um, if you're interested, I've got a, a book of her, a lot of her comic comics oh really okay yeah i'd be interested in that. share with you and she kind of you know 
stuck pretty um, pretty much with yoga philosophy, like you know, Lady Yoga, obviously, but like uh, Ganesh or some of the characters that um, that are kind of tie into yoga. And uh, but it's really boiling down some of the basic principles. Of okay maybe ahimsa or non-harming so that, you know, it could be understood on elementary level, right? Yeah. Through, through you know, these comic characters. And so, you know, it's like a fun, light, light thing, but it, it might give you some insight into where you're, you know, wanting to head with the, the sci-fi, the yeah. avatar meets matrix meets, you know, other beings kind of thing where, yeah. um, which I think is yeah, I like I I I hear that you have almost uh, fragmented ideas and maybe there's a cohesive grand picture, which I think you have a grand vision, but it's it's in it's in uh it's like a work in progress and yeah. I'd love to see it on the finished product someday, you know, and I <laughs> Well, see, I think that we were talking about that yesterday, right? Like, that's my MO. You know, if you want, if, if you would have just said that statement in a room full of people that know me well, they'll be like, you're going to be waiting a long fucking time. You know, if, <laughs> if, if you're going to wait for Mike to finish something, you better be patient. <laughs> well, but, but this is, so, but that's, so what does yoga teach us, right? Recognizing habits, patterns of the mind, yeah. behavior, patterns, and cycles with a avenue to change right yeah so I like right i think there's maybe that's if you were totally in the now everything in the past was who's jack cornfield talks about you know what happened yesterday is gone it's back with the time of julius caesar and right. the first caveman it is right it is no longer exists so so that's where I, I'm a firm believer we can we can uh, transcend patterns of a lifetime or, or multiple lifetimes, depending on where your head's at with that. But but that's where um, you know I think Kino talks about you know yoga taught her that taught her that the impossible can become possible. And you described it earlier. You're like you start like you couldn't touch your toes, right? And mm -hmm. at that beginning level of your practice, it was impossible. Yeah. And, yeah. and now that forward fold is possible. And <laughs> yeah. And so that's like kind of the essence of all that of why I love yoga and, and why I love the philosophy and the tr transformative power. So. But yeah. wow, we've been talking a long time. Um, Have we? I, I, what do we do? Well, we're, I mean, we're at 9.50. We started sometime after 8, um, which is not Oh, wow. Bad. But yeah. we should start wrapping it up a little okay. bit. Um, on your, um, I, like, what would you like to add, kind of add on, on um, I mean, you've, you've covered a lot of ground. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I did. Yeah. Sort of kind of like, um, parting words or your own, um, you know, where do you see your journey going? I mean, we 
or whatever you want to talk about. Interesting. Okay. I want to, I want to not forget the fact that the whole reason I reached out to you is I wanted to try to do a podcast for my research report and teacher training. So I think that's just an interesting, uh, like, you know, it's seen this coalescence of things that, um, you know, there's a part of me that realized I could have done the yoga research report on something pretty simple, straightforward, something I could have read about, something I could have regurgitated what somebody else said and put into a PowerPoint presentation and stood up and gave a 15 minute presentation and check the box. Um, but I'm trying to tell myself that's not how I want to go through this life. Like just, you know, meeting the, the, the minimum requirements. Um, because, you know, there is in some ways this teacher training has brought up a lot of skepticism in me. And initially that's what I was going to title my, my yoga report on was going to be yoga for skeptics and, um, teaching methodologies. And so that's what I've been just banging my head, you know, ever since I've been thinking about this report and I've been thinking, I want to do it in something I'm interested in. I want to really dive into it and I want to, feel good about what I'm doing, but I just kept banging into these walls and I kept imagining that I wanted to do a report that would appeal to skeptics to make them want to try yoga. But I realized I'm the skeptic, you know, I'm the one trying, I'm the one doubting everything. So it's like, what do I not, what am I not skeptic of in this? What am I, um, you know, what do I feel like I know? How do I feel like I know it? Um, and explore that a little bit. So it, it started to become clear. And I think my wife kind of helped push me in the direction too, was that, you know, what is your hesitations towards this? What are you skeptical of? And, you know, from the Ashtangi world, I've been practicing, you know, I've been practicing every day for a year. That's like the first week, you know, like you always hear this, you don't start teaching until you're 10 years in. And, and I think I understand that. I, 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 I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily want to be so dogmatic that I think that's the way it ought to be. Um, but there's something, there, there's something to that time put in. And, um, but you said something that said foundation level and we were talking about the kids, but there is part of me. It's like, I think I know enough of this to teach kindergarten. You know, like, I think I can, I think I can set a good foundation. I think I could prime the wheels and I keep, I, I've tried, you know, the more we go through the teacher training and we do the practice session, which I know is just a, it's kind of a check the box type of thing. And, and in a way I've, I've told myself, just do whatever you got to do to meet the requirements on teaching to that class. It's, it's being said over and over again that that's not that important. We just need to teach a safe route. And it's really made me realize like, that's not the kind of teacher I want to be, but it's been really great seeing everybody in the class. And I can tell you can feel the people that'll be really good at it, you know, for a variety of reasons. Like, like it'll be a very safe atmosphere. They, they can kind of bring people in and maybe the things I want to teach are a little more, it's just different, you know, and I like it all. Um, but this pro having that project, deciding to put myself into it made me kind of deal with some of my own creative ideas and my creative output. And it, it, podcast has just been screaming at me. It's my main form of media input. And when it kind of jives with a storytelling, it forced me to put the damn recorder on, record something and send it, send it to you the other day. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like, and that's what, like, it's interesting how this is all kind of unfolding. And I've 
I usually don't get people to listen so attentively to me for very long because I don't make my points very fast. And, you know, there's either lack of interest or lack of comprehension and I lose people along the way. Um, so maybe there's something to this, you know, there's like, yeah. like, like this is a more efficient art making process. Like instead of abandoning the creative process, maybe I just need to abandon the high overhead sculpture tools, mm -hmm. you know, store all your materials. The, the, the old me that filled up storage containers full of stuff for future things, yeah. you know, I can just pull this thing out and hit record and I'm in a creative place. I'm in a flow state and I'm talking about something that I'm really engaged in. And I'm still skeptical of how that I'm not really, I'm not really convinced I'm ready to be a teacher. Um, but I'm already realizing what through a couple past experiences, what the idea of trying to think about me being a teacher means to my own practice. And that it seems so to force myself into this place of trying to articulate what my practice means to me makes me realize what my practice means to me. You know, it's not just this set of, I mean, it kind of started out as a set of motions that I either chose off of certain different inputs, but putting it to words has made it given me more faith in it, I guess. And I, I wanted, I like this symbiotic kind of yeah. um, pushback. So I, you know, I feel like, Maybe there is something to this. The more I think of myself as a teacher, the more I'll be engaged with the way I'm thinking about the thing personally. Yeah. And um, I can get through some of my weird obstacles. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and bring you more into the now, right? Yeah, like yeah, exactly. Cynicism or optimism are really have a tendency to draw us into the future, right? And, yeah. And reflect. And we were talking earlier about, you know, how we can get drawn into the past so that the whole idea is like seeing what happens when we really start to live in the now in a, in a deeper, more intentional way. And then, and that's, that's the only place that creativity can happen and unfold yeah. is in the moment. And so I think I'm, I'm excited to see the final product, you know, and, uh, and I think you've got, you know, a lot of good creative juices flowing that are gonna, gonna blossom into. And you said you had such an interesting journey, and um, I'm sure our listeners out there are gonna be very intrigued by, by uh, hearing this podcast and your story, and and they'll be interested to see where you go. So what we'll the what we'll the what we'll the do a future podcast. You know, okay. Out sometime in the distant future, to because uh, that's like the story is is nowhere near its end. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I'm. Ex I think um, people. A lot of people will share my interest in like, well, where's this going to go? You know. So. So that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's cool. So. Well, Thanks, Dave, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk again. This is, it's great. It means a lot to me. Yeah. Well, thank you. And I'll, um, um, I think that's about a wrap. So thank okay. Thank you to all our listeners that tuned in today and, um, yeah, more will be coming. Wow. That was fun. 
we went deep what a pleasure thank you once again mike and i hope all our listeners you enjoyed that conversation and we took a winding path through many topics so that was that was really fun for me and and enjoyed you know connecting with mike so you may see mike around the studio he's getting ready to sort of you know be certified as a yoga teacher here this summer of 2020 and you may have seen him helping assisting carol in her stanga classes and so he is a you know as you can tell from the from the interview a very very much a passion for stanga so i definitely see him jumping into teaching some of that more more and more in the future if you enjoy our our shows that we keep bringing you, uh, please subscribe. That is really helpful. And as you can um, share it with your friends or family or social media, that kind of thing. And please leave us comments. And if you have any suggestions for us, you can email the yoga voice podcast at gmail.com. That's the yoga voice podcast at gmail.com. And you can always find out more information about the goings-ons with uh, classes and our new virtual studio at City Yoga that we, you know, have pay-per-view classes. And, of course, we're live streaming through the shutdown, um, about 40 classes a week, as well as we have uh, plans to reopen and continue live streaming throughout the entire pandemic. So... That's uh, City Yoga. It's, it's found at www.cityyoga.biz, C-I-T-Y-O-G-A.biz. And again, I am truly grateful that each one of you get, decided to give us a listen today. Please be safe. Please be well. And until next time, just enjoy your day. Thank you for listening to The Yoga Voice, brought to you by City Yoga School of Yoga and Health, where we are committed to exploring how yoga inspires and transforms. Find out more at www.cityyoga.biz. That's C-I-T-Y-O-G-A dot biz. Special thanks to our producer, Brian Sims, for his audio expertise.